This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. So the only thing left to say is, you in? Order now on the McDonald's app. You can also get reward points delivered too. So the ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus. Rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. We understand that the journey as a supporter isn't always smooth sailing, but rest assured you're not alone. There's a vast network of fellow fans who share your passion and may be experiencing similar challenges. Honesty is key in any relationship. If your friend asks you how you are feeling, tell them honestly. If you're going through a difficult time, let them know. Opening up about how you are feeling can really make a difference. After all, they are your mates for a reason. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Thanks for downloading this podcast from Love Sport Radio. For more, go to lovesportradio.com for all the latest podcasts, news and views. Or for more, follow us at Love Sport Radio on Twitter. Hello and welcome to the Crystal Palace Fan Show here on Love Sport Radio. You're with me, Johnny Burrow and Chris Clark, Nick Gillard and James Howard of the Back of the Nest podcast. James, you're back. We had him for a week. It's, it's like Kim Chalstrom going to Arsenal. We signed him. He was fantastic. And then he immediately <laughs> disappeared off on holiday. How was it? It was fantastic. Yeah, I did need a break after that one show. It was. It took a lot out of me. <laughs> I have to see him every week. <laughs> and he yeah. hasn't had a break yet. <laughs> No, um, I, was, I was off last week because you weren't here. That's true. Well, we, yeah. we, it was conscientious objection, wasn't it? It was, it was protesting against my absence. And we've had news left, right and centre because we now know the genders of Nick's mighty kittens. Yes, and the girl is called Constantine. Constantine. So that's a change since last night when you rang into the Arsenal show and we had no names at that point. No, the kids have decided. Where's, does, where did Constantine come from? My eldest is doing A-levels. He's probably got it from a book somewhere. Okay. You shouldn't trust books. I've heard, I've heard they're troubling. But the last one, it was lucky she wasn't called Attila the Hun. <laughs> <laughs> Tilly for short, presumably. Yeah. And we have a new face, at least for me, in the form of Chris Clark. Welcome. Lovely to see you. Were you there to see Arsenal capitulate? Sadly not. I wish I, wish I had been. Um, I've, I've been every time we've lost, um, and I miss this one. That's often the way. Well, Nick was complaining last night that if you're a Palace fan who goes to the home games and not the away games, you've not had the best of seasons. No, I was at Highbury the last time we beat them at their ground, though. Which was 1994. Yes, sat in the um, famous clock end with the Arsenal fans. Keeping very, very quiet, presumably. No, we went do lally. If you look (laughs) back at the footage... There's about nine or ten Palace fans just jumping up, going mad. Yeah, brave. I'm one of them. Very brave. I think I was there at that game as well. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, was it Solarco scored two? Yeah, and who scored their goal? Go on, Ian Wright. Was it? Was yeah. he? Was he black? No, because I was there when we got relegated by him, and Ian Wright scored and kissed the badge, and I went yeah. off him for a bit. Just a bit. You back on him now? Yeah. You forgiven him? Lovely. Yeah. Well, given it had been so long since there was 
last a win for Palace against Arsenal. Were you surprised to get the three points at the weekend? I was very surprised. Um, I was, um, you know, watching the games even though I was away uh, on TV and I was very pessimistic. We'd had three what I felt was very poor displays, very negative. We did get the result at Newcastle, um, which was great, but I was very, very pessimistic and it was happy days again. It was, oh, wow, what's happened? Is it the manager? Is it the team? What have they done? They've just come out and from the off, front foot forward, fantastic display. Win at Arsenal was amazing. But that's what they can do on their day. Palace are a good side and got good players and can really turn up, as we've seen at other grounds like Man City and Liverpool this season. We can score goals away. So do you all think this was a case of Palace performing particularly well or did Arsenal get things a bit wrong? I mean, Nick, you were talking about stats last night, 27% possession for Palace, and yet still a huge number of shots and indeed shots on target. Yeah, it was um, unbelievable. It shows that Roy's got his got his tactics spot on. Um, a few people have hinted that the lack of schlup in the lineup may have helped. Hmm. Chris, I'm interested to hear your take on both how Roy approached the game at the weekend and your thoughts on Roy in general, because we've had some varying views here on the show over the past couple of months. Where do you stand on the weekend and more broadly? Right, OK, let's start with the weekend. Um, I mean, I'd, I'd, I'd bank null point from this game. You know, <laughs> That's what you assume, isn't it? When, when you're playing a top six side, you, you expect your club to lose, frankly. But... You know, from the from the moment the game started, you know we were on the front foot. We looked good, um, and that's what we are capable of. We've all known that we're capable of that, and I mean I've seen more than my fair share of away wins because you know I'm lucky that I do go to a hell of a lot of away <laughs> games. Um, yeah, and frankly, if you if you are a season ticket holder like me as well, you've seen more than your fair share of home defeats and you know, draws against teams where you really really should win. We know we're good enough to do this, and you know I think on this occasion we were set up right. We had that ready and I think Arsenal there was a touch of complacency about them in terms of the number of players they rested but Roy had the right setup and I mean it was a classic Pulis win actually frankly um you know 27% possession but we had the chances we were set up right and you know we were able to break and take those opportunities and you know we did that flawlessly it was a plan well executed and that's what Roy does so you know moving on to the broader point of you know is Roy the right manager of course he is we're safe um, already and with games to play that could even see us qualify for Europe. That would be mad if it happened, but who knows? <laughs> so, so you've got absolutely no doubt that Roy yeah. is the man you want in charge? Yeah, the, the, there's no no one else out there. I mean, you know, unless Mourinho applies for the job and I suspect <laughs> that's not happening. I want the Leeds manager, although I can't remember his name. Marcello Bielsa. Yeah, is that just because you want to have spies hiding in the bushes at every Premier League ground next season? Just what I've heard about him, he just seems like a top bloke who cares about football, knows his onions and gets the best out of his players. He's even got Patrick Bamford scoring, for goodness sake. <laughs> That's true, but then the criticism of Bielsa, which comes, I mean, it's been around for a long while, it was around while he was at Marseille, was that his teams get knackered. Because he works them really hard on the pitch. He works them really hard on the training ground as well. And so around Christmas, you get this drop-off. We hadn't seen that with Leeds this season. But we're seeing it now. It's well, they come are later. Now. Yeah. And I'm... they have now potentially blown that promotion push. So perhaps I always feel with Bielsa that, as you say, he's likeable. And he's certainly a character. But it might be a case of style over substance. And I think, Chris, in part, the point you're making about Roy is that in a funny way, he's the opposite. It's not style. 
and it will never be style, bless him. But there's a lot of substance there. It's a safe pair of hands. Yeah, um, I think somebody mentioned it on the pod on Sunday that we haven't been tonked this season. It's the technical mo- term. The, yeah, the, the the most we've been beaten by is two goals, which is pretty good. Yeah, you know, considering when you look at United at the weekend. Yeah, well, you, you mentioned Leeds. Man United slipped up. Arsenal slipped up. Chelsea slipped up last night. Another one of the teams didn't do so well. So maybe the, the jingle jangle nerves are coming in. Sorry, I t- nearly turned into somebody who shouldn't really be mentioned then with the jingle jangle, didn't I? With Jimmy Savile, he used to say that, didn't he? It was nearly Bob Dylan as well. Uh, yeah, oh, yes. Mr. Tambourine yes. Man. I was also interested to see the introduction of Ward in for Van Aldenholt, who's a man who hasn't always been all that popular as a defender on this show. What did you make of that particular switch? Well, I have to give credit to Nick because he Don't do that. told me a few weeks ago that PVA wasn't up to it. And I was banging on about how good he is going forward. but Which you were right about. But quite clearly, he has been our weakest link. Um, and as I do bow to your knowledge. Thank um, you. <laughs> and it was a masterstroke. <laughs> because Wardy is, is very much more defensive. Um, and he has switched to the left back, although he's naturally a right back. Um, but it gave us a lot more solid, solidity. And um, it allowed for Meyer to, to push forward. Um and I was very impressed with not only the whole team, but, but, but the defence. Um, and full credit to Roy, because it probably was quite a big call if PVA was fit. He just dropped in, didn't yeah. he? Yeah. He's one of our longest serving players now, Joel Ward. Still not got his own chant. You Surely if you're unhappy with that particular state of affairs, Nick, you've got to write one. We, we had a competition uh, about five years ago for people to come up with a chant and there were some good ones but they never took off at the Eagles it never took off it's so upsetting well Joel Ward if you're listening maybe you have to write your own chant or if you have any particularly good ideas you can get in touch and inspire Nick on 0208 70 20 558 it's also at Love Sport Radio on Twitter coming up Wilfred Zahar still loved at Crystal Palace I suspect he will always be loved at Crystal Palace but will he always be at Crystal Palace? Don't go anywhere. This is Love Sport. Wilfred Zahar has been the star man for Palace this season. He's been oh, lively. Yes. He's been direct. He's a local boy. He's loved. And yet he came out earlier in the week and gave an interview which you could forgive Palace fans for not being delighted about. He said when he watches Champions League football... There's a part of it that frustrates him because he sits there thinking, well, I shouldn't just be on the sofa. I should be involved. Uh, The phrase he used is I'm missing out and appeared to suggest that he wouldn't object, shall we say, to a move to a Champions League club in the summer. First of all, guys, what did you make of those comments? Who wouldn't want to better themselves? However, as Roy pointed out in his uh, press conference, if you're asked a question, would you like to play in the Champions League? You're not going to say no, are you? True. So, I don't know what you think. I don't forget, you know, we had all this discussion uh, last season, um, at the end of the season, where the money has to be right as well. The club are not going to allow him to go for less than what they value him at. You know, he's still under a four-year contract. And Arsenal fans, not 45 million. <laughs> that is taking the Michael. There has to be a price, and if he does want to go... If those two match up, then maybe 
that's that's the time when he goes. But I'm just hopeful that he stays with us because I think that if if he was to go, then then we could be in in, in a little bit of bother. <laughs> Well, it's not for us to name the price, is it? Because we're, we're not businessmen, with, with all due respect. Well, certainly, I, I can't speak for you, actually, but you know, I, mean, I work in the public sector, and I'm not interested <laughs> in making a profit from this situation particularly. What I want is the best for the player. I want the best for our club. And, you know, I mean, frankly, he deserves to play Champions League football. I really believe that, and I will support him when he goes to play for another club in the Champions League. But maybe, maybe he could do it with us. Who knows? We finished seventh. Well, they they start in Europa. Europa That's a start. Win win the Europa League and suddenly you're there. What happens though, Chris, if the best thing for the club and the best thing for the player are completely different things? Well, sometimes there's a standoff in those situations. I don't believe... I mean, I I, I just look... I can look Wilf in the eye and I don't believe that he's the kind of person who would allow self-interest to come first in that kind of way. Maybe. I mean, there's also agents involved and obviously football gets complicated with that kind of situation. But I hope and I believe that, you know, Wilf is a more moral man than that. And, you know, I, I really do believe that. His brother tweeted, I think, that he's not going anywhere. So... Well, because the transfer window is not open for another couple of months. No, yeah, maybe. No, I don't know. But his, his family's down. If he if he goes anywhere Premier League, it will be Tottenham or Arsenal, maybe even Chelsea. No, they can't. They can't. Oh, poor Chelsea Shame. can't buy anybody. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, um, well, they know what it's like to be Palace now, don't they? Yeah. <laughs> um, or abroad, as you've said. Yeah, Germany. I I, th- I think Dortmund would be a really good move for him. I I take your point about the morality, Chris, and I think the only angle that that's really relevant for is they're not going to an Arsenal not going to a Tottenham I think if Zaha were to go to Dortmund it would be a really good move for him I think he would fit with that style of football and also it would be respectful to Palace but with him I I don't think it's going to be a case of him doing it for the money but the phrase and the word that comes up again and again in that interview he's given is ambition and actually if he really is that ambitious I don't think it's really selfish to go you know what I love Palace I've done my bit for Palace but I need to step up a level now and if that's what it is then I think we all support him too yeah yeah I mean I'll be as heartbroken as I was when Vince Hilaire left and I cried a lot because I was only nine (laughs) Um, (laughs) maybe that could be the name of one of the remaining cats we're getting rid of two well you could name them and then go sorry he's he's got a weird ex-footballer's name yeah he's called Wilf Wilf and Vince Wilf's a good name for a cat yeah, but if if we're accepting that Wilf the player and indeed Wilf the cat, it sounds like will be off in the summer. What's the figure you would take for him? And I'm talking now about the player and not the cat because I imagine we're many tens of millions apart in terms of figure. Well, I'm. I don't really want to think about him going off in the summer. I think uh, he's settled here and he's he's got a young lad. I think a, a very very young boy. And I think when you've got a family, you're starting a family out and. Uh, you got a partner or wife. You, you you don't want to go abroad and and a, and a big upheaval. So I'm convinced that he'll stay here. And it may be that a London club comes in. And I know last summer was it Tottenham mm. um, were pitching at maybe 50 million, and we were saying no, he's not going for less than 70 or 80. Do you think he's a 70 million pound player? I didn't. Uh, I said if I think I said the other the other week. Um, because he missed two glorious chances. And I said, if you're going to be a 70, 80 million pound player, you've got to put those away every week. Mm. And he's not. He still misses um, sitters. and he, But he's still very skillful. Um, he's at a good age. 
but maybe the club will still hold out for a bigger sum, like 70 or 80. Say, look, to us, he's worth 70, 80 million, but maybe to Tottenham or Arsenal, they might push up to 60. And I think, hopefully, I'm hoping that we just will say, no, we're not prepared to sell him at that level. He's, he's worth more than that to us. So the figure that's being reported in the Daily Mail in the last couple of days is 80 million. Uh, I think I would be baffled if a team paid that, to, to be honest. I appreciate that he's worth that to Palace, but 80 million English was that, pounds. Was that the report that linked him with PSG? Could you imagine him, Neymar and Mbappe together? If, oh, if all three of them that stayed fit. That would be scary, wouldn't it? So the report I read that I think is the most encouraging one for Palace is by Adrian Kajumba in the Daily Mail. Uh, so that's saying that 80 million quid is the fee and that if he does go, Palace would look at Jack Grealish of Villa. Would that be a potential replacement where you'd look at him and go, well, OK, Wilf was potentially irreplaceable, but Grealish would come close? You can't replace Wilf um, like for like. Um, he's been at the club for so long. Uh, that we know how he plays, and that's that's a you know that's a big advantage to us as a club. Um, eighty million, 90, well, eighty million is a lot of money. Um, if it wasn't my team or my player or our club, I'd probably say I definitely should go for eighty million. If I was a neutral, he definitely should go for eighty million. But I don't personally. I don't want him to go. I love watching him play. And I want to see him at Palace. And I think if he goes, we will be in trouble. And we will battle next season for staying up. Mm. Um, so personally, yeah, I think if he, someone came in at 80 million, as if I was a financial man, businessman, <laughs> I would say yes. But hand on heart, I wouldn't want him to go. No, and there is also that question of what good the 80 million quid does because it's a lot of money. It's a lot of money to reinvest, but Palace aren't going to be in the market for spending all that 80 million on a world-class player because even if it might be enough to get one, that isn't the kind of bracket you'd be shopping in. So probably very hard to replace yeah. Wilf, however well, much he goes for. Looking at our finances this year, we were 30, 35 million a red, was it? So we, we hadn't really sold anybody. We, we were all right the season before because of selling um, Yala or yeah, uh, Balassi. Um, and that's valuing Benteke at 35 million. Yeah. So, I mean, if Benteke's <laughs> worth 35 million, Wilf's got to be worth 200 million. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll come on to Benteke in just a moment. And he might actually be worth rather more than we all think. Uh, I just want to touch on a couple of other comments that Zahar has said this week. One in particular about his time at Manchester United, where he alleged or suggested that various members of the United coaching staff, when he was at the club, had tried to, in his words, break him. Uh, which I thought was an interesting choice of phrase. What did you make of those suggestions? I, I don't really know what that means, break him. He, I know he hated being away from his family while he was up there. Um, he was living in digs at the time, wasn't he? He was yeah. very unhappy. He was away from his family. He was living in probably a shared accommodation. Um, and... Who doesn't love a house share, eh? His <laughs> <laughs> own shelf in the fridge. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, he was ho obviously homesick, um, and 
he has sometimes, you know, people do do have a go at him for sometimes having this sort of, you know, attitude on the pitch where he reacts too quickly with refs. And, and maybe they didn't like that up there and they kind of like bullied him into sort of saying, well, you've got to fit in with us. We're not going to fit around you. Um, and he was quite young and a bit naive. Um, and maybe that's, he just didn't settle because of those reasons. You or do, a number of those reasons. do wonder if Alex was still there, whether he would have made it at Man United because he was the last player he signed and then he mm-hmm. went. Yeah, I've seen people suggest that that would have made a big difference for Wilf. I can believe that it would have done. I don't personally believe for a moment that any professional coach would deliberately try to hamper the well-being or development of a player at their own club, build for big things. Unless they're a crew. Or Chelsea, where actually you know there is you know a documented series of cases of profound bullying of players, especially frankly motivated by race. Um, so you know that there really is a problem with people having been treated that way. Now, can I say that that's what happened to Wilf at Man United? No, because I wasn't there. But I've had jobs where I've been bullied, and you know that that felt like people were trying to break me. So. Could Wilf have experienced that? Possibly. There are well-documented rumours, which I'm not going to go into for legal reasons, about um, people who Wilf may have had a relationship with um, during yeah. his time yeah. there. Yeah. Um, Very and, entertaining rumours, actually. Yes, exactly. And I think I think I may well have sung songs about that at the ground. <laughs> Surely at, not. At various <laughs> points. No, not you. <laughs> but um, people will be able to work out, I hope, and if not, then Google it. But um, <laughs> you'll you'll be able to work out what I'm talking about. But um, yeah, Wilf had a difficult time um, at United, and you know we we love to have him back here. Um, maybe he'll go back there and make a success of it, or maybe preferably he'll go somewhere else where he can really kick on. And yeah, you know, I think we'll all be together in wishing him the best. Yeah, I, I think a return to Manchester United for various reasons for Wilfred Zaha sounds very very unlikely, and hopefully he will still be at Selhurst Park next season. Stay with us here on the Crystal Palace Fan Show because coming up we'll be talking to Paul Price about that excellent walk from Selhurst to the Emirates at the weekend, all in aid of calm. A really good cause. This is Love Sport. It's the Crystal Palace Fan Show here on Love Sport Radio. You're with me, Johnny Burrow and Chris Clark, Nick Gillard and James Howard of the Back of the Nest podcast. And James has been away for a couple of weeks. We've talked about potential departures from Palace. We're now talking about returns to the Love Sports studio. Uh, and Nick is alleging that James can't have left his hotel because, and I quote, he's not got a tan. And Nick is claiming that he's more tan than James, despite having been outside for only one day over the weekend. It's outrageous. Um, I have got a tan. And if it wants me to pro- provide evidence, then I will show him my white bits. Dangerous. Dangerous. You're all right. No, no white bits in the Love Sport Radio studio. And for those of you listening at home, you'll be delighted to hear that we don't have a webcam. So you are all safe. But one man who really wasn't safe at the weekend was Shotram Mustafi. And I had the guys from Gunnerstown in last night for the Arsenal fan show. And they're normally pretty mild-mannered. You know, we all support our clubs. We support the players who play for our clubs regardless of how they get on. You know, no player is trying to sabotage you and you feel for them 
whatever happens. But they had basically had it with Mustafi. They were saying, get him out of the club. He's a terrible footballer. He's not up for a scrap. Mentally weak. All of these terms that always come out when a player has a bad game. For you as Palace fans, having seen that performance from Mustafi at the weekend, did you think that he was responsible for Arsenal's defeat? Did you think he looked like a terrible centre-half? Or was it just a bad day at the office for Arsenal generally? Bad day at the office. Um, and, I mean, frankly, you know, um, yeah, he should have jumped and he should have been in the right place when Benteke uh, scored. And he should have uh, been more physically able when Wilf was musting past him. But, you know, those were good goals. The you know? Wilf goal is a good finish. I personally would argue that it's a woeful defensive error. Mm. It's it's not a case of just not being strong enough. It's being completely misjudging where your goalkeeper is, completely misjudging who you're up against, where you should be standing, how you should position your body. I thought he got it wrong on pretty much every level. True, but a normal number seven running through in that position probably wouldn't have had the wherewithal, in my opinion, to drop the shoulder and do what Wolf did in that situation. So, you know, normally you'd get away with that mistake, albeit that you'd then look across and wipe your brow and have a bit of a laugh get about it. Get shouted at by your goalkeeper. Yeah, whereas in this case, he's he's had hell, um, and understandably so, ever since. There was, there was no way that the keeper was going to make that ball, was there? No, no way that he was going to get out there, and he, he'd be blamed, the keeper. You can see him blaming the keeper. What got me was the fact that, and I listened to the Arsenal show last night, as I've said, they were blaming the fact they had a defence that didn't really know each other. So did we. Mm. We coped. And you had a right back at left back as well. Yeah. It was a classic case of them, a big club, underestimating us. And secondly, uh, the other classic case of them having a a big game midweek. We had more rest, more preparation and... Overall, we we just got there in the end and we won it and all fair and squarely. Um, and yeah, they 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 we were on the front foot and they weren't from the beginning of the game and it was too late. They couldn't catch up. Hard for them to come back in that context. I was concerned by all kinds of things about that Arsenal performance. One was the midfield, and I find it very interesting with reference to the Palace midfield. Something we've talked about a lot. Who needs to play? Who doesn't need to play? Is Max Meyer the creative force that is needed? Because in uh, the two gloriously haired, it has to be said, men in the form of El Nenny and Guendouzi, Arsenal just seemed to have a very lackadaisical midfield, a lack of bite, a lack of both pace physically and pace with the ball looking to move it forward. Who, for you in that Palace midfield, was central to exploiting that? Maya looked boss in the first half hour. He he seemed to be running everything for Palace. But then Kuati was, was strong. He was covering when one of the wing backs went forward, so we were almost making a back three. Um he was carrying the ball forward quite a bit. Um Jimmy Mack had a brilliant game. He's always in and about getting the tackles in. Um so yeah, it's somebody mentioned that we we did well because Schlupp wasn't in the lineup, and because he tends to to drift out of games, we we didn't have anybody in there that drifted out of the game. So we had the full eleven on the pitch all the time. So I think that's harsh. I, I really think that's harsh on Schlupp. Schlupp has a a place, um, and he, and he deserves that place when he's fit. And in this case, he's injured. He's out for the season now, um, but. 
he can play the same role that Luca plays and that um, uh, are, that Coyote plays. They, they are all, I, I would say, interchangeable. Yeah, probably. Um, Coyote and Luca would be the first choice too, frankly. Um, but if you're playing a slightly more defensive um, left winger, then you know Schlupp fits the bill for that. And you know maybe Wilf plays on the right in that case. Um, in you know more often than not, actually, we obviously have Townsend and Wilf playing. Um, but if if you're making those change change rounds, then you know for me, you know Schlupp, Schlupp definitely has a place in the mix. Um, he didn't play on this occasion, but he, he could have done in the place of either of those defensive midfielders and would probably have been part of the solution rather than part of the problem. Indeed, and he's always good at covering back. He gets back quick. He's very, very quick. And he's a better tackler than PVA anyway. But um, it's just the the disappearing out of games for long periods. But then Darren Ambrose used to do that, didn't he? And then he'd come up with one or two worldies and he he was everybody's favourite player. So You know, Hodgson made a little bit of a mistake, I think. Um which was Max Meyer had a very good first half, very attacking, linking up with Zaha. And we were 3-1 up in the second half and he should have taken Max off because it was Max losing the ball in midfield that led to their goal. And pretty much immediately he was taken off after that. Um, so I think there's a place for, still we were talking about this a few weeks ago, there is a place for Meyer at the club because he is a very positive, attacking, skillful player but I think we have to be very cautious uh, in the fact that if we do get a lead, especially against a strong side, that we think, you know what, we know what Max is capable of, we know what he's good at, but we know what his weakness is. He might lose the ball in midfield. So I think Roy will learn from that. Uh, and is there a worry, though, James? Because I think you make a really, really good point. But if Roy and you as Palace fans can learn what his strengths are, what his weaknesses are, is there not a concern that other managers are going to look at Meyer and recognise that weakness? And when he is playing, play perhaps more combative, scrappy central midfielders and just pile onto him and nick the ball constantly? Yeah, well, second half, uh, he, he was sort of playing a bit more central because we were 3-1 up. So probably Roy was saying, you know, can you play a bit more central? We don't need you out wide. We want to sort of close up shop. We want to keep the two two goal advantage. So it shows that the first half when he was had the ability and he was given the permission to attack and go wide, it worked. But I think if the tactics are going to change... Um, he won't be there. He won't be your central midfield player that's trying to sort of step on the ball and keep hold of it and not lose possession. So I don't think it's a big problem. I think uh, will Roy will realise going forward um, what he needs to do, that he needs to bring on Kiate or another central midfield player to just shore it up a bit. Um, and Maya will also have to... Um, improve his game in that respect and make sure he doesn't give the ball away. Do you think he'll be better next season once he's had a season to bed in? Oh, definitely. I mean, you know, it always takes these foreign players a season to bed in. Um, in a premiership, it's very, very fast, as we all know. Premier League. <laughs> well, if, that's, that's rugby. The ability, if, you've only got to look at the uh, Champions League game the other day. <laughs> yeah. I mean, what, a, what an advert for, for the game in the premiership. Terrifying um, stuff. Very, very hard to deal with. If you are new, if you're not used to it, it's something that Jurgen Klopp has said a lot about in terms of moving from the Bundesliga, not just in midfield, but with goalkeepers as well. The entire culture is different. Uh, there is more physicality all over the park, in the box, in midfield. 
and Maya will, as you both say, I think benefit from getting used to that. There was another major talking point, which of course involved a certain Mr. Aaron Wan-Bissaka, who we don't like to talk about on this show because he's average. Uh, but coming up, we'll be asking you, was it a handball? This is Love Sport. You've seen him given. It's a cliche and we hear it again and again and again. Sometimes they go your way, sometimes they go against you. And did Palace get a little bit of fortune against Arsenal with a certain incident involving Aaron Wan-Bissaka? I was talking about this before the game. In real speed, it's going to be very difficult for him to avoid it hitting him. And I think the way he was turning, his his arms were in a position where he was trying to turn, but it wasn't it wasn't deliberate. Um, and I think it was so close to him that there wasn't a lot he could do about it. I suppose there's the argument that his arms were up a little bit, but thank goodness we haven't got VAR because it would have spoiled a good game. Well, it, it's it's the natural reaction that anyone would show when you know targeted by a ball from such close range and this is what's going to happen next season is that VAR and the referees and the panel that are looking at it are going to look at it in slow motion and I don't think that's I think they have to take into account that it is slow motion it's not real speed so they'll probably will personally I I did think if it went to VAR that would have been a penalty um, I don't know what the other guys think. I completely agree with that. Yeah. Um, I mean, at the end of the day, you know, the, one of the phrases you always hear when when these things are given or when they're not is "were his hands in a natural position?" and clearly they weren't. Um, on the other hand, did he move his hands to try and touch the ball? No. But you know, intent is not the point. The point is, um, you know, you can you can rightly say it was ball to hand, and it was. Um, but you know, I mean, as you've said earlier on, um, it you know you've seen them given many times, usually against the smaller clubs. So you know, I mean, for once the cookie's broken our way, and yeah, you know, I'm not going to cry about that. But it swings and roundabouts. Perhaps they should in, uh, introduce some sort of straight jacket kit, so they tie their arms round the back, and then they can't handball anything. Well, well, John Moss seems there. to have that normally when it comes to cards. <laughs> <but> <laughs> might, make, <laughs> might make it quite hard to slide tackle as well, or indeed take throw-ins, which for a fullback could be a problem. I hadn't thought of that. Good point. <laughs> unless, unless we had a really elaborate system where the physio would have to run on, take the straight jacket off, he could take the throw in and then quickly strap him back up again. All sounds a little bit difficult to me. No, you just have very, very long sleeves and you just tie the sleeves around, but you don't need a specific straight jacket. You've got a strange imagination, you guys. I'm getting a bit worried here. You should definitely get a special one for Neil Warnock, though, right? <laughs> yes, I think so. And probably a muzzle while we're at it. Uh, the other argument about Aaron Wambasaka, of course, involves the PFA Young Player of the Year shortlist and the fact that Mr. Wambasaka is not on it. And there is outrage, not just amongst Palace fans, but football fans in general yeah I'm, I'm shocked at this um i was saying to you i saw on the media outlet that it was posted with all the faces of the uh players in question that were nominated and wambasaka wasn't and the first response to this um link uh was why isn't wambasaka there and it was about 800 likes I mean, i've never seen palace get 800 likes on on you know a media outlook and I think genuinely people are gobsmacked because he doesn't put a foot wrong and he hasn't done all season. Uh, and I know I was working in Sheffield uh, up until the new year and working with a lot of 
football fans from Manchester, um, this is both the clubs, Leeds, Sheffield. And I got a lot of views from people that are not Palace fans. They haven't got any uh, animosity against us. They're not from London. And they've clearly respected the fact of how good this young lad was. Um, and they were putting him in their dream teams and football teams. And, you know, I, I'm absolutely shocked that he's, he's not nominated. I don't know about you guys, but I am. <laughs> no, I am as well. And there's, there's a broader question, I think, about the Young Player of the Year award beyond just Wan-Bissaka not being involved, which is how are we defining young? Because if we look at this shortlist, Trent Alexander-Arnold, okay, he's about 12. David Brooks, he's young as well. Rashford, fine. Declan Rice, fine. Irish Young Player of the Year, no less. And England International have some of that. <laughs> but Bernardo Silva is in his mid-twenties. Raheem Sterling is in his mid-twenties and is one of the front runners for the Player of the Year award. Surely, you look at that, you've got any sense, you go, you know what, Raheem, you're probably going to be PFA Player of the Year. I don't think you need to be in the running for the kids' trophy as well. Let's give Aaron a go. Surely. I, I do hope Sterling wins that. I hope he wins just, the Player just of the Year. He's, he, just cause for paying uh, Damari's um, funeral yeah. costs. Yeah. He's, you know, his utmost respect and gives two fingers to everybody who's been slating him all season no he's, he's a fantastic player fantastic man off the pitch but he also is in his mid-20s and, and he looks like a t-rex when he runs well there is that as well to my son <laughs> <laughs> but i i don't know i think where where you've got young players banging on the door for opportunity you don't help anybody by giving the older guys the chance to win the prize. I mean, we've seen it before where someone's won PFA Player of the Year and Young Player. I think Hazard's done both. Bale did both. Ronaldo mm. did both. What is the point? If you're the best player in the world, don't give him the award for the teenagers. Recognise somebody else. But for Palace, perhaps it is good news. Longer term that Wan-Bissaka's not in there. Because as we always say on this show, he's our average wing-back. He's mediocre. Let's just temper all of this praise ahead of the transfer window and try and minimise interest in him from elsewhere. And this and the reduced media coverage that comes with it could potentially be good news long term. Coming up, there's a big question for Palace to answer now. Batshuayi or Benteke? And on the line, we will have Neil Shipley, former Palace forward, to give his view on the current crop of strikers. This is Love Sport. It's the Crystal Palace Fan Show here on Love Sport Radio. You're with me, Johnny Burrow and Chris Clark, Nick Gillard and James Howard of the Back of the Nest podcast. And I'm delighted to say that we're also joined on the line by former Palace centre forward Neil Shipperly. Neil, evening. Thanks ever so much for joining us. You're a man who knows a thing or two about scoring goals and I've got to get your take on Palace's current crop of strikers. Ben Take found the back of the net at the weekend and now with a couple of games to play for the rest of the season would you go with him or would you go with Batshuayi? Well yeah first and foremost good evening uh, right well I mean look let's let's get a few things straight I mean I've, I've criticised Benteke over the past sort of season or so and I still think I'm justified on that regarding of what I've, I've seen with him but I've got to say, you know, he's he done he's done okay. You know, he scored when he come on uh, the other day. He done okay, and when he's obviously uh, the goal he's got against Arsenal, good free kick. It was unmarked. You know, I'd, I would expect him to score there, but 
the benefit, the only benefit of having a Benteke instead of Batshuayi at the moment is, you know, he is, he is, he's a big, he's a big fella, and for the, for Zaha's second goal, he's done what good, good centre forward should do of that size. He's won a flick on, and uh, I know you can question the, the defending, but Zaha's, you know, he will feed on them flick ons. So I would probably go with him with, uh, till the end of the season, and just, you know, hopefully he can build more on his confidence. I I think you're right, Ships. How are you doing? I I think right. we look more. I don't know. We just look more of a team with him in there. He's he's not prolific in scoring, but he he just helps us gel up front, and he's really really good at holding up the ball. He needs to practice on his offsides a little bit, but other than that, yeah, I'm I, I'm happy for him to um to keep his place now. Well, I mean, you know, he's done a couple of good flicks the other day and stuff, and you know, winning headers, like I said earlier. I mean, the one thing we've got to be careful of is, you know, we're not talking about an 18-year-old youth team player coming in and, and you know, and applauding him for doing this stuff. This is the kind of stuff I expect him to do. Yeah. Uh, and and he hasn't been doing it, so you have to forgive me for my non-excitement at the moment. You know, these are the kind of things I, I wanted him to do anyway, and I am glad he's doing it. But I don't think we should be getting, you know, too excited about it. What's going on with him psychologically, do you think? Because, you know, they all have barren spells. I mean, how, how hard is it as a striker if you're not finding the net? Do you lose self-belief? Oh, yeah, or? terrible, yeah. I, I mean, I had, I had a 15-game run, I think, when that season we got promoted. I, I just couldn't find, the, couldn't find the, uh, the net. But the one thing I did do is work hard. You know, I worked hard and, and I'm a believer that you, you, get, you, prove, you, know, you make your own luck. So if you run around and do your basic stuff and you follow the ball in when someone has it, so all them kind of stuff, you, 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 hopefully your luck will turn. So so with him, it's a little bit different. You know, I, I want to see more of him running around a bit more, a bit more of this, which I've got to say, I, I am seeing it now. So let's see it for the, till the end of the season and then, then we'll see. But I'm, I'm not going to get carried away and, I, and I'd still probably like to to probably sell him it if it's up to me and, and, and sort of reshuffle the forward the forward line a bit. Well, get 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 Grealish in. Um you're Steve Parrish, you've you've paid a small fortune to get Batshuayi on loan. Do you not feel you're not getting your value for money if you're not playing him? Yeah, good 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 uh yeah, I I would agree with that. I mean I didn't we pay three million just just for the loan fee or yeah. something, you know, for the last few months. So you would do. I thought he started really well. I still like him as a player. I think he's a better player than Benteke regarding reading the game and little, you know, little flicks, uh, his runs, everything like that. But Benteke's got more size. Uh, so that's why for me he's a better, better player. Uh, we're now safe, so we don't really have to have that argument about we desperately need this, we desperately need that. So it's probably the end of the line unless we... We can find the money to try and get the Bashwai, which I don't know how much that's going to be, but I'd imagine it'd be quite a lot of money. And, and it's money that we don't seem to have, or, or from my knowledge, I don't think we've got that much money. Yeah, my understanding is we're, we're going to be looking at championship players rather than more expensive ones anyway and hoping to develop them. So. Yeah, I mean, we've only got three games left this season anyway. And, I mean, you've, you've got to you know, make that calculation based on who's the right player to perform. I mean, my question to you, Ships, is um, looking at the way that um, Benteke is performing, I mean, do you, do you think that it's because that the lack of, you know, running and chasing after balls, you know, hopeless causes, that kind of thing, 
is the result of you know Benteke being lazy, which is you know I mean that that's what I'm picking up from the way you're describing it. You know that he's not making those runs, or is that a matter of managerial instruction? Because that that's always been the defence that has been put by other people is he's doing what he's told to do. Right. Well, yeah. I mean, I remember a couple of seasons ago with Sam Allardyce, and I read the program notes, and you know, reading it, and he, and he said we've done a lot of work with uh, Christian over the last few weeks about running the channels. And I just thought, wow, you know, that that is that's, you should be telling a thirty million pound centre forward to run the channels. You can go and get a League Two player to run the channels. I, mean, I just think that's that's basic play. I never saw that with Benteke. I didn't see him making the real basic stuff. And he just seems to have gone downhill with confidence, and that's why you know he hardly scored last season. And and you know I know he got injured this season, but so I don't think it's it's what the man. I mean, every manager I'd imagine in the world would love a centre forward who's got his presence, got his size, can hit the ball the way it is. But you want him to to run to run around a bit more. Uh, make these make these runs, chase lost causes. I mean, that's what Jordan are you? You know, he he done that when he first come on the scene, and all the fans went, "Wow, you know, this this is what we want. We want we want to get someone who's willing to chase and maybe nick the ball sort of two times out of ten by chasing that. N- not as, as as nutty as Shane Long, but I mean, he's magnificent at it. But you know, understand what I'm saying? Centre forwards that go around making a nuisance of themselves uh, when they haven't got the ball. Neil, it's interesting you should mention Shane Long because this evening's Premier League. Act- Action has just kicked off. Of course, one game is particularly relevant for Palace fans, Spurs versus Brighton. That's still nil-nil. But the relevance of Shane Long is that we're currently four minutes in uh, Watford versus Southampton. And Shane Long put Southampton 1-0 up there after eight seconds. Wow. Eight. Wow. How does that, as a striker, how does that even happen? Because, Neil, if I started running from <laughs> the centre circle, I don't think I could get in the box in eight seconds. You wouldn't get to the edge of the centre circle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that's, uh, that seems crazy, doesn't it? Yeah, I've, I've done that. You can score in eight seconds, but uh, no doubt we'll have a, look, have a look at that later. And, and there's obviously... A, uh, well, yeah, it happens. So there's a reason why it's happened, but I, I can't think of how in eight seconds. No. There's got to be a story behind that. Um, just focusing on what you were saying about uh, Benteke, there. I mean, you've you've said sell him, um, and you know, I mean that that's a fairly popular view among Palace fans. So, I mean, who do you think would buy him? How much do you think we'd get for him? Um, who do you who do we replace him with? Well, the club needs to sit down. I, I, I think uh, Roy and Ray have, have just done an incredible incredible job uh, with with what they've got given. You know, we, we have, we've hardly spent any money. So no doubt, you know, you've been talking about the Zaha situation of whether we do get the top money for him. Uh, Aaron Mombasaka, I'm just trying to think of all these players that we can get big money for. Because uh, end of the day, Palace fans won't like it, but the club's a business. And if we can't see any money coming in, i.e., you know, there you go, boy, we're going to have 30, 40 million to go and do what you want, which it might come out in the next couple of weeks. And we've got that. But if we haven't, we've got to start thinking like like a business. And these players, if we get top money from them, we might have to do it. I mean, I don't know. I'm pretty sure we've got over three players on uh, more than £100,000 a week. And, and I believe uh, Benteke is one of them. So I, I would cut my losses with him just on the fact of that, that you know, we can go, go and get other strikers and I don't think they'd even command anywhere near, near that money. Uh, so we're going to have to start sort of shopping around, I think, unless something comes out recently uh, on the next few weeks that we've suddenly got all this money. Yeah, I'm with you, Neil, actually. I, I too tend to agree with your comments. I think that overall, when you look at all the games that Benteke's played, he... 
he really hasn't done the business enough. And as you say, you know, the, the bread and butter of the game is, is, is missing. Um, but I do feel with the Batswai and Benteke situation, I think there's, there's two sides of the coin here. You play Benteke for the rest of the season and he scores every game or nearly every game, puts his value up. That gives us some money. Maybe we get some of yeah. our money back or most of the money back. It gives Roy a chance to look at the market over the summer if he still wants to sell him. However, not. However, if you play Batswai and you don't play Benteke, because I personally think Batswai is better, different type of player, but I think he's better. If you play Batswai, then it tells Batswai, look, we want you to join us next season. Whereas if he's not playing him, and he, okay, he's a lone player, and I can see why they're not playing, but if he... If Royce plays Batshuayi, then the argument is that, well, we don't really want Beteke, we're going to try and sell him, but we're persuading, we're sort of giving Batshuayi the chance to get used to us, and, and hopefully, if, if, if the money's right, uh, he will be more inclined to join us over the summer. Yeah, strongly agree with that. I mean, listen, this is where management comes into it. You know, Roy, Roy's not stupid. Uh, I, I, I agree with you. You know, play Benteke. Hopefully, this, let's let's get three, you know, three out of three now, and then and finish season well, and then get top dollar for him. All it takes is Roy to put his arm around the Swati and just say, look, we're hoping to do a deal. We do want you. So, you know, it might mean you're just going to have to sit on the bench. And I don't know about Swati personally. I'm sure he'd love to play f- football. But you've only got to look around. There's players on big money who, who are not playing. So we, as long as he puts his arm around and tells him that, then I'm sure that's why he's going to be fine. It's only, it's only you know, we're at, we're at the back end now. There's not much to play for. And uh, I, I agree with what he said. Yeah, big time. Coming away from Palace ships, I mean, you're a bit older than me, no, not being rude or anything. I woke up this morning <laughs> to the news. First thing I heard was um, Billy McNeil died. First British player to lift a European trophy. Do you have any memories of him from your own youth? What what a big figure he was in football. Oh, I, I wish I could. No, not not really. I mean, I, I'm not that much older than you, I don't think. <laughs> first, of all, you, first of all, you really insulted me there. But, uh, but, <laughs> I'm sorry. But no, yeah. obviously, no, I can't pinpoint memories of what he did. I just know his name and I know, I know what he achieved and how much he means to, to Celtic and stuff. So anyone passing who's done that amount in football, it's, it's, it's a shame. And I hope you get the recognition he, he deserves. So, yeah, sad times. It, it's a shame you've only got a minute left because I was going to ask you what you had for your Easter dinner because I've heard about your Christmas Day dinners. Um, but did you oh, have a good yeah. one? Oh, I've done well, yeah. I've, I've got a couple of lambs a leg and... Uh, lambs a leg? Leg of lambs, <laughs> Leg of lambs. And I've done an Asian rub on one of them and uh, a nice uh, rosemary and lemon on the other Is one. Is that a kind of massage, I, Neil? <laughs> no, no, I know you've only got a minute left. I'm quite <laughs> I, I smoked uh, a joint of beef in mesquite wood chips. And uh, yeah, I think there was something else, but you've rushed me now. But yeah, I had a very good Easter and I, I loved uh, my, my cooking, as, as you know. So uh, yeah, we uh, we done well this Easter. Neil, that sounds amazing. I can't get out of here for another couple of hours. Now you've made me really hungry. Neil, lovely to speak to you. Neil Shipperley there, the former Palace centre forward and apparently chef extraordinaire. I wonder how many people he was feeding. Two. One. One. Yeah. Come on now, come on now. It does sound delicious. I wonder, because the thing about Easter as well is because there's always the chocolate, to have a massive banquet of a savoury kind before that, you really are setting down a marker for yourself, aren't you? Yeah, indeed. I'm very, very impressed. I am genuinely very, very hungry. I've been undone by Neil Shipley. 
A quick update from the Premier League action for you. It's 0-0 Spurs, Brighton and still 1-0 Southampton, Watford. It's just come in. Shane Long's goal is being timed at six seconds. That is the quickest goal in Premier League history and it's been scored by someone called Long. You couldn't make it up. This is Love Sport. It's the Crystal Palace fan show here on Love Sport Radio. And Nick is locked outside. He's gone for a cigarette. He's missed the news. And I'm inclined to not let him back in. So you're now listening to the Crystal Palace Fan Show with Johnny Burrow and Chris Clark and James Howard only of the Back of the Nest podcast. I'm delighted to say that we are also joined on the line by Paul Price, who organised a wonderful walk to raise awareness for calm from Selhurst Park to the Emirates this weekend. Paul, a wonderful idea, a wonderful cause to be raising awareness for. How did the walk go? Are your feet still hurting? Oh, no, no, not at all. Thanks for having me on, by the way. Um, Not in the slightest, to be honest. Um, How far actually is it, Paul? Oh, it's about 13 miles, so it's not... And your feet don't hurt? No, no, not at all. I I love a bit of walking, so uh, no, my feet feet are absolutely fine. So, yeah, it's 13 miles. It was quite quite, uh, an easy trek. I've had a few few people complaining to me on Twitter about a few blisters, etc. But uh, no, in general, it was all, all good. Really, really good. Fantastic day. And so talk, talk to me a little bit about how you went about raising awareness for Calm. So for anyone listening who doesn't know what Calm is, it's a charity focusing on mental health with a particular spin towards men's mental health as well. So was this a case of just raising awareness for the charity or was it a question of the people involved taking particular interest and focus on their own mental health, at least for the duration of the walk? Yeah, absolutely. Well, or both, both to some degree. So firstly... Um, I found out about the charity due to a good friend of mine who was on your show previously, actually, called Lee. He's a a Fulham fan, and he's been doing these walks for uh, some time. And what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to help him with them and and get them, uh, you know, get them get them going a bit more a bit more focus a bit more uh, a bit more out there with regards to um, distribution on on social network and media such as yourselves so um, the the aim of the walk itself was to raise awareness for mental health and also male suicide which is the uh, biggest killer of men under 45 in the UK mm. um, part of the reason we did it is uh, sad to say we've all we've all had a bit of a background in that and uh, as such we felt inclined that we wanted to do something and make a difference um, and the aim of the walk itself really is to demonstrate that um, it's okay to talk, to actually talk mm. while we're walking. Uh, some people talk about the weather or the football, um, or they might talk about their own mental health situation. So mm. there's a whole there's a whole thing there. We use the walk really as like a bit of a centerpiece, and then the social media uh, that goes on around it is is kind of where we get the get the word out there more really. But it's a really really strong positive event. Hello, Paul. It's Nick here. How are you doing? Good to see you on Hello, the Hello, Nick. I'm okay, thank you, mate. Yeah, yeah, not too bad. You managed to get in then, have you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've, um, <laughs> I've no, uh, James was going to show his white beats during the break, and I just couldn't be couldn't be doing with it. <laughs> no, no, no. But that's we, fair enough. You that's missed the enough. show, mate. Oh, I mean, I was good to see you on the telly as well, jumping up and down at the weekend. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> fame, no, I don't know how I manage it, but I end up on there quite a lot. Yeah. So there was, I was, I was on there with some uh, people I think a lot of, so that was lovely. What I, what I like most about what you're doing is the fact you've got rival fans doing it together. Uh, is it difficult to get opposition fans to join in and, and become part of it, or are they really, really willing? 
what, what you tend to do, and this has happened a few times, so I've done it with Lee, as I said, from the Fulham thing, and that was quite easy because I knew Lee and he was already doing it. I then had to try and get our own fans to do it. So that was quite challenging. Not, not, not in a horrible way, but quite challenging the first time around. We had about, I think there was about 76 uh, mixed opposition fans on that walk. The, with regards to Arsenal, this was almost my first attempt at uh, getting another enga- club engaged myself. So uh, what I did is, um, started, first of all, it was, I mean, I'm, probably a month or two ago just started putting some stuff out there with a bit of a hashtag on it and suddenly it got picked up and then from there it's just gone from like strength to strength basically uh, I've managed to get onto some Arsenal podcasts and uh, some of the Arsenal accounts have been uh, promoting what we're doing which has been absolutely immense and it's kind of grown from there so uh, as a result of that, you end up with some quite good numbers, and you also end up with a, you know, some real good quality people, some really lovely people that you know we've had a we've had a great time chatting, and then actually uh, doing the walk with. And what are your plans moving forward? What's the next one going to be? I'm not too sure yet. We're waiting for the uh, fixtures to come out, so um, so that um, you know they can they can all be shifted around just at the last minute. But uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, waiting for the uh, fixtures to come out. I'd love to do another one. Um, mainly a London one, to be honest with you, um, it's, and that's not due to uh, laziness because I love walking. <laughs> but uh, you you get you know a lot of the clubs in London, they're big clubs, and in many respects they're bigger clubs than Crystal Palace. You know your Arsenal's, your Tottenham's, that those sort of clubs. You've um, they've got like a massive fan base. They've been in the they've been in the division for years. So I wouldn't mind doing another one an, another one in or around London, but. Um, myself and, and Lee as well just want it to grow and grow really I think it'd be amazing if we got every single club to do something like this I think it would be such a positive thing It'd be a nice the, thing the, to do on an international break wouldn't it get get London Premier fans to, to do a walk together so that every club yeah, yeah I was, well I was actually uh, it's funny you should say that because I was actually just uh, I was just chatting to the, uh, about that probably about 30 minutes ago and I was wondering what we could do over the summer so uh, I think that would, you know, that's a, there's a potential there for some for something quite uh, quite powerful, and I think that would also then allow you to have your foot in the door with the opposition fans. The main the main thing with the whole opposition piece as well is the, you know, football fans one way or another we get a lot of bad press. We're all hooligans. We're all you know doing this, letting off flares and uh, various other things that we're accused of. But this sort of throws that completely black, uh, back even at all of the authorities and anyone else who's got a bad word to say about us because it's such a positive and amazing experience. It's just, um, I don't know, it's, there's so much good in what we're trying to do and that's what we want to keep doing. Paul, we know that men and particularly young men are, for whatever reason, not talking enough about how they're feeling. They're not speaking up as much as they could be, even with the advent of hashtags such as it's okay to not be okay. Do you yeah, think yeah, this problem is even worse with football fans? Because it comes uh, with men often from this, you know, internalised belief that somehow we need to be masculine and being masculine involves not crying, involves not talking, not being emotional somehow. And do you think that's something that football's got a problem with? Um, I don't think it's just football. I think football's a, a great one because it's a, it's a perfect target area in that there is that macho side to it. Uh, but there is also that piece around uh, men under 45, and I know that's only a section of that whole, the whole, you know, the whole bigger picture. But I think 
if you just look at the if you just look at the sort of profile of who goes to football, it's it's, it's predominantly a lot of men under forty five years old. But it does also scan ladies. It it, it you know it it scans all ages. It's worldwide. It's just such a powerful uh, way to be able to get a message out there. There's you know it's got worldwide coverage. So um, I think I think there is a massive problem with. Um, I don't know. There is a massive problem with that whole sort of macho image of football and everything else. Mm. But I wouldn't say it's just that. I mean, my, mine certainly didn't come from that. Mine came from being of a certain age, having a load of pressures on my life. Uh, I wouldn't put it down to any one thing in particular. But I've only got one stress pot. And all of a sudden, at a certain age, and that age was just as I was about, uh, about 30, so probably about three years ago. Don't say a word, Nick. <laughs> 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 no, I'm a little bit older than that. But, um, you know, all of a sudden, a lot of things started to come down on top of me. And I can sort of see that happening over and over again. You can see people out there that are probably going to either end up in that position or are in that position. And I think football, football. the reason we've done it with the football thing as well is football such a, you know, such an icebreaker. I came back from, I think it was like Newcastle away and walked into a pub completely on my own because I tend to do that occasionally. And uh, straight away started speaking to these two guys at the bar and one was a Tottenham fan and one was a West Ham fan. And, you know, it's just there. You can start that conversation off. And I think for some people taking that little jump is, uh, is, you know, that's that's quite uh, daunting. But, um, yeah, so just to answer your question, I don't think it's just... It's just football or football's any worse, but there is definitely that macho side. Hmm. So, that, you know, that's that's the one negative about it, I suppose. Well, Paul, it's a wonderful thing to be raising awareness for. It's a wonderful thing to be encouraging men to talk. Thanks ever so much for doing it. And if you do do another walk with one or more London clubs, give us a shout because we have a show yeah, here for every London club uh, and it would be lovely to talk again and help to raise yeah. a little bit more awareness for this charity. Lovely to talk to you. Thanks ever so much for joining us. That was Paul Price there who was organising a walk in aid of Calm. That was from Selhurst Park to the Emirates, just raising awareness of issues that the vast well not the vast majority but vast numbers of men particularly men under 45 do struggle with and perhaps don't speak about as much as they should so a wonderful wonderful cause indeed talking is something that we like doing here on the crystal palace fan show sometimes about our emotions often about palace and coming up we'll be talking about palace but we'll also be talking about brighton this is love sport we don't mess around here on Love Sport Radio. We do not mess around. Nick Gillard doesn't mess around. It's the four-word reviews, and they've got a particularly sensual spin this evening, Nick. Hello. <laughs> First up this week, we've got Simon Pizzy of Back of the Nest fame. James Howard, by the way, just can't even look. We've got eyes closed. We've got head in hands. I know that beating Arsenal is exciting, but I didn't think it was that exciting. Big Ben. Bulldozers, gunners. Yeah, fair enough. Next up, we've got Comrade Kev Roberts of South Africa. <laughs> yes. Vinny G, the keeper. Okay. Kevin, this is apt. Walk, talk, and win. Yeah, bang on, bang on. Bang on. Uh, Mark Ross, he used to be on our show many, many years ago when we first started. Benteke of The Nest. Oh, Very shocking. Very good. DR Kernas, I don't know where he is this week. Um, 
getting a suntan in his kebab shop, we said the other day. <laughs> he doesn't go out in the sun because he burns easily, but I thought he'd be immune standing next to that spinny lamb thing that he, he serves <laughs> up, but no. It's no. probably a lot worse than the sun, actually, though. Yeah. But... No Zaha, no party. I thought he was going to say no Zaha, no problem, but there we go. Mm. Darren Broadfoot, Arsenal got both barrels. Richard Tate, that's a Christian resurrection. Oh, very good. Very, good. very, very good. Um, that's three words, Mr. Cabri's parrot. That's all right. He's allowed to. He's allowed to be succinct. I'll help you here. Christian Benteke can't miss. <laughs> that was easy, to be fair. London Eagle is delighted for the lads. Nobby Clark, I'm still buzzing now. And um, in. Homage to Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young. Mm. Dean Smyver said it's been a long time coming. Yeah, and indeed carry on on the Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young line. I think, Josh, we can get rid of this music now. Is that a six-word review? (laughs) Thank God. It's been a long time coming. Yeah, it's five. That's all right. We'll we'll let it slide in. James is fine. I've just got one off the top of my head. Okay. Exciting times. That's only three words. Okay. Exciting times. Now. Now. Okay. <laughs> a terrible I'm Easter still fun. thinking on my feet here. Ja- James Howard inspired <laughs> by the absence of music, which I think we're all relishing now. White bit lucky charm. Oh, none of that. Enough oh. of you and your white bit. I'm going to leave soon. <laughs> We've got Premier League action going on right now. It's still Tottenham nil, Brighton nil. And let's turn I our attention. I don't know how. I don't know how either. Tottenham really going at them. Matt Ryan, of course, doing a very good job in that Brighton net. Brighton, a club of relevance to Palace because many of you aren't very keen on them. And there is now a debate emerging amongst the Palace fan base because there's still the possibility that Brighton could get relegated from the Premier League this season. There are some who are so keen to see that happen that they're talking about other clubs throwing games against Cardiff just to keep the Bluebirds up to send the Seagulls down. But there are others who say, hang on a minute, we want to be in the same division at Brighton because we want to have a scrap with them. Where do you guys stand? I really don't know because part of me thinks, much as I'd like Palace to be in Europe, it's undone Burnley this year. And, um, but... Brighton going down. I mean, we've, we've got the Brighton-Tottenham game on in the background. I don't know how Tottenham haven't scored, but we are willing them to score. And and for all their gloating after we got eight points from the first however many games and they were posting things on Twitter like Mind the Gap, it's just lovely, isn't it, to yeah. see them struggling. And they are choking. They look awful tonight. And I... Yeah, I like Neil Warnock as well. I'd love to see Cardiff stay up instead of Brighton. But I know Chris is going to Ninian Park or whatever it is yeah. now. Where do they play now? It's not Ninian Park anymore, is it? Oh God, I can't remember that. Um, that's why I want I to go. I think it's the Cardiff Park. City Stadium in yeah. rather unexceptional, unexciting terms. At least it's not sponsored. That's true. Well, I mean, one of the reasons I want to go is because, you know, it, it's the last ground of a Premier League club that's in the same league as us that I haven't been to. So that will tick a box um but also i mean let, let's focus on this brighton thing um i want them to go down i so <laughs> want them to go down and yes i want to go to that game um and 
yeah, I mean, if if we win, I won't cry because we've won a game. But on the other hand, if we lose, um, I it really will not um, dampen my enjoyment of the day. Out. So hang on then, Chris. If I offered you now, if you could choose by magic the scoreline of that game, would you choose a Palace win? Would you choose a draw? Or would you choose a Cardiff win and a Palace loss? Cardiff win. Easy. Easy, you easy, would, You easy. would happily watch Palace lose to yeah. relegate Brighton. Yeah. What? Very, very easy to do. <laughs> What's quite amusing is it's the six points they got against us that's helping them. Yeah, and of course all three games, because you had them in the FA Cup as well, yeah, finished 2-1. With that in mind, James, you're shaking your head. I think you're of a slightly well, different mm, opinion. I can't believe what I'm hearing here. And I'm reading some <laughs> tweets that uh, have just been passed over by Nick and got Mark Ross saying Brighton to be relegated no contest who are you relegating Brighton would be lovely I actually want a Welsh club in the Premier League what uh, <laughs> CPFC in the States up the Bluebirds Jason Babin push for seventh I'm a firm believer in celebrating success of my team yep I'm with him on that one right this is this is where I stand here and a lot of a lot of supporters have been wishing for Brighton to go down now don't get me wrong they are our rivals and whenever we play them, I want us to beat them 5-0. But to be rivals, you've got to play them. Come on, lads. What are we worried about? Are we worried about losing to them again we, next we season? We have lost they... to them three times this season. Okay. You stop saying that. I don't know, but I mean, it is a serious I don't concept. care, but stop saying it. <laughs> we, we move on. We move on. But the point is, you've got to play them to beat them. And... You know, our rivalry goes back to the 70s. And uh, again, it's better to play these teams. I mean, look at the atmosphere it generates. Look, look at look at the build-up to the games, the talk and the fans and the, the aggro and everything sort of, you know, it's it's just one of those games you don't want to miss. And I remember going back, I was talking to the guys earlier, and I remember going back to, I think it was the late 80s, early 90s, actually late 80s, when um, there were four South London teams in the old first division. It was, you know, the, the Charlton Mill, Wimbledon... Um, ourselves um is that four i can't count fulham no fulham were in the old North. third division then um so you had the old wimbledon millwall cheltenham palace that's four yeah. South but also that season it was only one season and i remember it you had the most london teams in the top division and it, it was great i mean it was derbies nearly every other week but it was fantastic i mean you go into work uh, you, you meet your mates and they're all talking about the games every week and, and that's the banter and, and it's football's not you know, football's not just about 90 minutes on the pitch. It's about the build-up. It's about the banter with your mates or your colleagues at work. And you lose that. If, if, if some team like Brighton goes down and gets relegated, you miss that. And I think it's a, it's a big shame. Um, plus the fact I want us to beat Cardiff. I think, as far as I'm concerned, I understand it's, it's a million pound a place in, in the division. So it's a lot of money at stake. And if we can beat Cardiff and move up a position or two, uh, I know we did it two seasons ago. I think we moved up four four places on the last game of the season. Mm. If that's worth four million, then you've got to play your strongest team. We've got to go out there and try and win every game as far as I'm concerned. I broadly agree with that, except that it's Brighton. <laughs> and, yeah, that's what it really comes down to is that, you know, I mean, Brighton yeah, is a lovely city. Um, it's a shame about that football club. Where's their cathedral? Stone. 
well, it's Brighton and Hove is the city, isn't it? Oh, right. Um, okay. is, you know, so I mean, it's a bit of, I mean, actually, Croydon is a city more than Brighton is, really, in terms of numbers of people. Um, you know, that, that may get a few calls. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and, and if it doesn't, that means you're frit, Brighton fans. So bring it on. Well, I think you've got a new chant, which is, where's your cathedral? Uh, and I, <laughs> I think the debate will rage on and on. If you'd like to join it, that number is 0208 70 20 And coming up... We're going to talk about Wayne Hennessy, and it's time for a Year 5 history lesson. <laughs> this is Love Sport. Now, if you're listening to us, you might, you might be thinking, I know that song. <laughs> I've heard that song somewhere, and it's definitely got lyrics, and it definitely involves a German, and it definitely involves Austrian. Actually. Uh, Austrian. I do apologise. <laughs> I should. I should. I should have known that. Uh, and it definitely involves for school. A defective <laughs> part. Well, exactly, because I and Wayne Hennessy, as I've just revealed, are claiming to be suffering from the same kind of problem. So the situation here is that Crystal Palace goalkeeper Wayne Hennessy. Uh, has effectively been let off by the FA for allegedly making a Hitler salute after his defence he levelled for himself was, I don't really know who Hitler is and I don't really know who the Nazis are. Although he has tweeted in the past about being at a World World War I memorial um, and saying how proud he was of our troops in the First World War. So how he skipped to World War, I really do not know. World War I as well, a war, of course, that Hitler actually fought in. So there we go. I think this is baffling. We have a teacher in the studio in the form of Mr. Neil, Neil, Nick Gillard. And I said before, well, during the break, actually, that I cannot believe, and I will go on record and say that I do not believe Wayne Hennessy for even a second when he says he doesn't know. I'm not saying he made a certain gesture, but I do not believe for a second that he doesn't know who Hitler is. He doesn't know who the Nazis are. He doesn't know the basic history of World War Two. I said it's a year five history lesson. And Nick, you replied very simply. Year four. <laughs> year four. Year six. Year six. But I mean, none of us left primary school without knowing the bare minimum, did we, about about that period. It's such a fundamental part of our nation's history, of the world's history. It's such a strikingly awful thing that the idea that you know to perhaps wind a German up about it, you know enough to do that, but you don't... Oh, sorry, was, was there an atrocity involved? I had no idea. Come off it. He hasn't even watched 40 Towers, has he? Come on. <laughs> Clearly not. Don't mention the war, Wayne. Uh, I'm delighted to say we're joined on the line by a caller. Nero is getting in touch. Nero, you would like to have a chat about Hennessy too. Yeah, uh, just to kind of um, uh, uh, add to what you guys have been saying. I mean, like, uh, you know, um, they teach us about this stuff at school uh, from a very, very early age. Um, And um, I just, yeah, I just found it absolutely... Um, astonishing that he wouldn't have known who Hitler was um, and who the Nazis were. And I think, like, what what we need to do now with this is that um, it's very, very easy to just get a head on a plate, that head being the head of Wayne Hennessy, right, and, and just go, oh, this is really bad, this is really bad. But there has to be some sort of... Um, there has to be some sort of positive outcome from this. Um, and I think what would be what would be good is if he did commit to go uh, to going on something like um, 
uh, a year five history course. <laughs> well, a year five history course, or, or perhaps the you know the Holocaust Educational Trust, or something like that. Um, um, my um, my son went on that a few weeks ago, and he came back a changed lad. I mean, he's sixteen. He went with the Holocaust Education Trust, and he was ashen faced when he got back. All right, he'd been out for eighteen hours in the day, but he was shaking his head. He said, "I don't want to talk about it." And I think it took him about five or six days to actually process what he'd seen. Hmm. It was that. And I, I actually think everybody should go there. But hmm. yeah, definitely Wayne Hennessy, Hennessy should go there. You've also got the Imperial War Museum just down the road from our studios here. Um, free entry. Um, my daughter in um, age 11. Got to think about that. She, she, she went <laughs> That's on a the, funny name for a girl. <laughs> <laughs> she went to, to uh, you know, they went as a class uh, to visit the museum just down the road and uh, yeah it's very educational yeah I just anyone who's been to any of these places I've been to Auschwitz and the idea that once you've done that once you've visited a place like that once you know even the fundamentals that you would think it was funny I, I just can't understand Wayne Hennessy to his credit if um, Roy Hodgson is to be believed is now saying that he wants he's absolutely desperate apparently to learn as much as possible uh, so I think credit where it's due you know it looks like he has been very very foolish but as you say Nero the you know the potential good thing here is an improvement in knowledge uh, an apology and perhaps a improvement in the whole state of things the, the sad thing is yeah. you are getting lots of football supporters going on March is actually doing that salute in all seriousness not as a joke um which well, is a bit yeah of a you problem. are yeah yeah um I mean that that just to just to pick up on that again, um, I think uh, it is. Yeah, you know, I think there should be. He should, he should very kind of publicly go out there and 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 sh and you know show show that he's done some education. And I think start com starting a conversation about this as well. Uh, starting a conversation about, for instance, the fact that to me, look, I'm, I I don't know the ins and outs of that that social event that they had. I think it was Ma it was Max Meyer's uh, Instagram feed, wasn't it? Um, More people. <laughs> Of all people, well, well, exactly. And was that locker room banter? And I, and you know, I hate that expression because that is not that is not good enough. And look, you know, we've all seen it at school. Um, this stuff has been normalised uh, over years. Um, and you know, if if you see it, if you see it in and around, uh, you know, everyday kind of living, at, 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 you know, at schools and pubs, and you know, even in marches now, even in football grounds, then. Who's to say where it can happen? Um, and I think you're right. Like there are people out there, there are f people who, who consider themselves football supporters who are going on marches and doing those salutes um, openly in public and happily uh, happy to do so as well. Um, you know, yeah. obviously there's uh, well, one I, particular firm. I was in New Addington today and I scraped two DFLA stickers off in Palace yeah. colours off of lampposts and that made me really really upset because i don't want our club associated with those sort of people no. who, who when you talk to them they say they're whiter than white and they only want the best they're, for the country what, 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 oh, what oh yeah no pun intended <laughs> but then you look at the people behind that group and they're horrible mm. absolutely horrible what can we do about that though i don't know was, well, it, I, was I, it you who sent the letter to the paper, Chris? Um, I, was, I was one of a number of signatories, including Nero's on the line. Um, it, yeah. it is an open letter, of course, so other people can uh, sign it. Nero, do you, have the, do you have the link by any chance? Uh, yeah, it's... Um, one second. 
I'll have to find it. Well, while you find it, I've just thought that um, Nero fiddled while Rome burned. I think Hennessy fiddled while Dresden burned. (laughs) (laughs) I I don't think Hennessy was probably alive at that point. I think the solution uh, for anyone who's perhaps making any kind of ill-advised gesture of any kind, of course, uh, Wayne Hennessy denied those allegations at the time. Uh, The solution is, as we've said, it's just education. Uh, education is the solution. You've got to make people aware of the reason why this is serious, why it's not to be messed about with, and why actually it's not some kind of meaningless gesture. It actually holds very great significance and is related to very great tragedy. But if Hennessy educates himself, I think the least we can all do, I suspect, is move on. Nero, thanks ever so much for your call. If um, Nero sends us that link, we'll put it on our Twitter like yes. that. Back of the yeah, nest. I, I, think, I think I've found it because you messaged it to me a while ago, Nero. It's um, bit.ly forward slash no racism CPFC. Wonderful stuff. A very, very good cause indeed. Nero, thanks ever so much for your call into the show. If you'd like to get in touch as well, that number is 02087025582. And we had some sighs, some gasps in the studio because it's half time. Spurs Alley, uh, Spurs Alley, Spurs Brighton, still nil nil. And the reason why I've said Alley there is because Delhi Alley just had a shot cleared off the line for Spurs. Could they still get that breakthrough against Brighton? Here is hoping but coming up after the break we will be talking to Paul McParlin he's a senior writer at these footy times and he's also an Everton fan we'll be getting the Evertonian view of things ahead of this weekend's game against the Toffees this that's right it's that time in the show where we turn our attentions to Crystal Palace's next opponent this week Coming up, it is Everton, and I'm delighted to say we're joined on the line by Paul McParlin, who's a senior writer at These Footy Times and also an Everton fan. Evening, Paul. Thanks ever so much for joining us. Everton have been in cracking form for the past few weeks. Yeah, things have really turned around, Johnny. Uh, I, think, I think yesterday's, uh, Sunday's performance was you know, absolutely superb from start to finish. And I think just like Palace's win at Arsenal... We didn't get the credit that performance deserves because we absolutely destroyed Manchester United right from the off and they didn't have any answers you know, to the power and pace and skill of our team. All right, mate, how are you doing? Um, do you, how much of that was down to Man United choking towards the end of the season like we saw Chelsea do last night? And I don't know, was it down to them being bad or were you really that good? Is Is, is your new manager actually starting to get the results and the players are playing like they want him to? Yeah, I think it's a combination of factors. But what I would say is we played some bad teams this season and haven't beaten them. But we raised our game against Manchester United. So although United, you you could argue they chose that they didn't perform to to their normal standards, we didn't let them play to their game. We didn't let them play to their strengths. And so right from the off, we were after them, we were closing them down. We weren't giving them time on the ball. And uh, I think that was, that was a major contribution towards Everton's victory. Also, as well, in, in my opinion, Silva is, is gradually starting to get his philosophy into the club. One thing I like about Silva is, unlike one or two previous managers, he actually gets Everton, he actually, he, he actually considers that it's, it's, it's a big club for him, which you know, is what we believe as well. And in my opinion... He's finally playing the way the fans want the team to play. They're playing with pace, they're playing with aggression, they're playing with skill, and they're playing you know, with a level of finesse we haven't seen in Goodison for a while. 
That's a word I don't associate with Everton. Sorry, finesse. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I'll, I'll accept that. They're, they're, they're doing well. So, so what, what are you thinking about Palace then? Because obviously, you know, we could still get seventh mathematically if, if you don't get any more points and a few other teams don't get any more points. Um, do you think we'll be on the beach or do you, do you think we'll actually give you a good game? I think it's, go, it's going to be a, a very interesting game, in my opinion. Um, Palace's home form isn't wonderful, as I'm sure you realise. I think yeah. you've, only scored 14, you've only scored 14 goals at home this season, whereas your away record is superb. One thing I was delighted about was that Benteke scored on Sunday because I just knew he was going to score his first goal against us with him being next Liverpool player this <laughs> coming Saturday. So I was delighted he got that out of the way. Uh, I think Palace will, will, will go for the win because obviously if you've got any outside chance of finishing seventh, you need to you need, you need that victory. But equally, with the way the Watford game's going this evening, I think they're getting beat one 0 at the moment. That that opens up such a unique opportunity for Everton to clinch that seventh place, and you know for us to finish in the, to get a Europa League place after the the disaster that was the Millwall Cup defeat has been such a such a positive turnaround in our season. Have you got the squad for a Europa campaign? That's a good question. I, I know, last time we were in the Europa campaign, I think we kind of started the qualifying in the middle of June or something like that. Yeah. But I think that the I think the uh, the qualification period has been rescheduled now. So my understanding is we only have to play one match to qualify for the group stage. So obviously there will need to be some some additional signings. There will need to be some players with European experience brought in, but. No, at Goodison, no. we had European football taken away from us. We had so desperate to see European football, we sent back to Goodison Park. Indeed. In terms of Calvert-Lewin's season, Paul, I'm still a bit bemused by him because he seems to have <laughs> the movement, the intelligence, the creativity of a top-class striker. And then you put him in front of a goalkeeper and he looks like a four-year-old. What's going on? Is he going to become a consistent finisher? Because he, he seems like he really could be a top player. I, I would agree with you, Johnny. He, he has all the qualities you know, t- to be a decent striker. It, it, it's quite apparent that he does need to improve his scoring ratio. However, the way the, way the team is playing at the moment, his, his role is more to create opportunities for other players by, by chasing balls down, running into the channels, upsetting the back four. And maybe next season there might be more of a focus on creating opportunities for him rather than him creating opportunities for other people. I think one thing that has gone unremarked is that um, Duncan Ferguson has actually been working one-on-one with Calvert-Lewin, in particular in terms of improving his physique, improving his ability to to dominate defences. And I think you can see the results of that in his recent performances. um, Who who are the players at Palace that worry you other than Wilf? (laughs) <laughs> well, I think Palace have got a very, very underrated squad. Uh, I've always personally quite rated James McArthur. Every time I've seen him, I've always been very impressed with, with his energy, his commitment, and his ability to uh, contribute goals like he did on Sunday. And uh, your your right side defender, Wang Bissaka, been very impressed with what I've seen him this season. Very, very good player, very capable forward. And obviously, uh, your penalty taker. Yeah, Luca, who's only missed one penalty so far this season, which was against Everton. Was now, it? Now there's a stat. And remind me, Paul, what happened in that instance? Did he miss the target or did Jordan Pickford get the better of him? Well, it was the game in October and it was, it was quite a crucial point in the game because Everton were leading 1-0 when Palace got the penalty. And uh, it, uh, although he, Luca took the penalty well, 
it was a really good save from Jordan Pickford, and that actually changed the game because we went on to win two 0 and I think and I believe that at the time, if Palace had equalised with Palace's you know away record, I think Palace could have gone on to win that game. So Pickford's a very good penalty saver. I hope we don't have to face another penalty uh, this weekend at Crystal Palace, but it was definitely a great save in Pickford and a missed opportunity for Palace. I see. Uh recently or up a few weeks ago up until a few weeks ago Pickford got a lot of criticism in the media um, has he improved is he improving at the moment do you think uh, he's back to how he was well in, in my view it, it, it's it's quite it's, it's, it's quite strange with the way Pickford's been treated by certain sections of the by certain sections of the media um, most goalkeepers this season the likes of Tottenham's keeper Lloris, Chelsea's keeper, have made mistakes that haven't attracted the same level of attention or criticism as Pickford's. The problem for Jordan was the one really bad mistake he made this season was in the Derby game against Liverpool in injury time that cost us a well-deserved point. And I think since that, attention has been focused on his errors rather than the fact he's a really good goalkeeper. And as borne out by the fact that I think in our last eight games, we've kept six clean sheets and you don't do that with a bad goalkeeper. No, it's a very, very good point, Paul. Last thing, um, Yannick Bilassi. I knew when we sold him to you, we, he was a brilliant player with no end product. Do you think you were sold a pup and did you pay over the odds for him? The answer to both questions is undoubtedly yes. <laughs> we, we, we bought a 28-year-old who, who, A, hit the forwards, had no idea where he was going to put the ball, and B, he had no idea where he was going to put the ball either. So he, he was the most frustrating player to watch at times in the Neverson years. Never had an end product. Always flattered to deceive, and I'm just telling you what you guys already know. Yeah, he, he was wonderful to watch. Though. I mean, there, there, there's always that clip of him beating the two Tottenham defenders with that extraordinary yeah. spin and flick. Yeah, yes. yeah. So, yeah. Just, but, but apparently, at the moment, he's doing really well at Anderlecht, you know. Yeah, but I do quite well at Anderlecht. <laughs> true. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. True. <laughs> Paul, as ever, it's been lovely speaking to you. Just before we let you get going, I've got to put you on the spot. I'm afraid. Score prediction. How do you see it going? I think this is a really, very really difficult game to call. Uh, I think in the light of Palace's sort of a very underwhelming home record this season, I'm going to say we're going to sneak it 1-0. Oh, he's a confident man. You've also just got less popular in the studio. Paul. <laughs> uh, but we will forgive you. <laughs> <laughs> Lovely speaking to you. Thanks ever so much for your time. Paul McParlin there, who's a senior writer at these footy times. And also, of course, crucially, an Everton fan. We've heard the Everton view, but coming up, it's time to hear the Palace side of things. Is Love Sport. This is Love Sport. It's the Crystal Palace fan show here on Love Sport Radio. You're with Johnny Burrow and also Chris Clark, Nick Gillard, and James Howard of the Back of the Nest podcast. Just coming into the second half now of Spurs versus Brighton and we are all hopeful here in the studio, of course, of a Tottenham goal. Not only because here at Love Sport Radio it is always your London teams first, but also because three of the four people here seem to absolutely despise Brighton and Hove Albion. I'm looking at the goal difference difference between Brighton and Cardiff. You'd want Tottenham to put a few away, but they've done any everything but score tonight. Mm. And Brighton still don't have a cathedral, so 1-0. Uh, <laughs> uh, but we've heard uh, from a Palace point of view, the Everton side of things, looking ahead to the game at the weekend. But in terms of how Palace 
should be setting up themselves. Everton are quite a frightening proposition at the moment. They're solid at the back, consistent clean sheets, as Paul McParlan of these footy times was just telling us, but also very, very incisive going forward. They made mincemeat of West Ham. They made mincemeat of Manchester United. Starting at the back, how are Palace going to negate that attacking threat? I'd stay with the same back four, actually. Kelly was up for man of the match on Sunday, I thought. What we're good at, is getting blocks in. I don't know what the stats are for getting blocks in, but we seem to get them in more than any other team. Brighton apart from very, Brighton very tonight, high. I was, yeah, was going to say Duffy in um, particular. And give them a chance. And you've got players possibly playing to stay at the club. Um, whether we use Batshuayi for him to prove his worth. I mean, I'd love just for one game to see the two Bs up top and stick Wilf on the wing to get the crosses in. The thing is, with Chelsea obviously having their transfer ban, I don't think they're going to sell him to us. So even if we do give him that opportunity, I mean, maybe if, if we want to have a go and you know be positive, I just don't think that's Roy's style. I mean, one, he doesn't change a winning team. Um, and two, he likes to keep things tight. And I think that's what he'll do. He'll, he'll keep it tight and try and make it, um, get to 75 minutes at nil-nil and then make it a 15-minute, you know, race to the finish line that usually is set up, and you can tell that when in interviews and so on. Looking at our team, I mean, we've got the, in terms of centre backs, which is the only position where you'd seriously look at there being a change. Um, the, the conversation we've had previously was: Would you rather see Scott Dan start, or maybe give someone like Sam Woods a go? Um, I mean, after the performance that Scott Dan put in at the weekend, I can see you know you'd absolutely stick with Dan. Just for um, the set pieces. Just for the set pieces. And also, I mean, he, he's a leader. He, he communicates well with the players ahead of him. They all know him. They trust him. Especially if you think back to the fact that now we've got Ward playing on the left. You know, they've got that historic relationship in terms of the way it works. So mm. if we're playing for maximum points, then absolutely you have to stick with the, the team as it was. I think I agree with that. Um, it would be very, very... Um unusual for a manager to change a team unless somebody's injured uh change a winning team but the only question mark i would have was would be on max meyer um he had a great first half away from home but if you remember the last home game he had a dreadful first half and he was taken off at half time whether or not the pressure's getting to him at home um it could be at the back of roy's mind to think well do i prefer to start with Townsend rather than Meyer. I don't think he will. I think it would be a bit damaging to his confidence if he didn't start with Meyer. But I think you could easily see um, a change uh, you know, soon after half-time if things weren't going well. I, I still say he's, he's an impact sub at the moment. He's, he, he seems to thrive when other teams are tired. And there is a big question, of course, of the front line as well. We saw Benteke score, but Shuai still on loan for now. What would you go for? If we were experimenting, and I would like to see Benteke and Batshuayi up front uh, with Zaha wide. And Townsend the other side. Yeah, I would really like to see that, especially at home. And I think that's worth a go because our home form's been so poor that we need to actually try and change things and experiment mm. to see if something else works. Again, it, whether Roy's happy to do that and change a winning side, I don't know. But it, for experimental purposes, I think it would be ideal to try it on Saturday. 
But the, the only problem is you, you want to try and get a winning run to kind of carry you over to next season. And do you want to upset that? I mean, I know we've only won one in a row, but... <laughs> but James's <laughs> point is quite a good one in the sense that if you're not winning at home anyway, the established order that's working away from home, for whatever reason, isn't working in the same way at Selhurst Park. So maybe roll those dice. Yeah. Well, we've got yeah. three games left. Um, you know, one of them is this game against Everton. One of them is at home against Bournemouth, and the other one is obviously a guaranteed uh, defeat against Cardiff. So, um, you know, we, we've got to focus on winning those home games, and you know, then we we can afford to throw away those three points. Um, you know, in the way that you know a lot of us hope we do. <laughs> <laughs> Talking of that, we're seeing uh, actually there is a danger of a game of football breaking out between Spurs and Brighton. Brighton actually starting to look slightly more potent on the break as well. If Brighton do win today, does that ruin your mood forever? No. Uh, yeah, well, they're an irrelevance, but um, I'd love them to be a proper irrelevance actually outside the league that we're in. They'd just be so much more comfortable. If they went down, would you expect to see them in the Premier League again soon? No. I would if they kept the manager. You, I think he's top user. manager. Brilliant manager. What I would say is they are very, very dirty. So many fouls and cynical fouls as well I've seen in this first half. Well, you say that. We've seen cynical fouls from Tottenham as well. Just a moment ago, Bernardo went on a wonderful, mazy driving run through the middle of the Spurs midfield. No one can get close to him. He brushed Christian Eriksen aside, who just went, sorry, and grabbed his arm and dragged him over. So there's there's cynicism on both sides here. Which is what the Arsenal player did with Benteke, wasn't it? Pulled his shirt, gave us a free yeah. kick, which, which led to our first goal. Is there anybody from Everton... That, that you think is a typical danger man and who could you put up against him, Sigurdsson yeah. Sigurdsson 100% Sigurdsson and would you lock Kuarte onto him or stay zonal I think you've got to put someone on him um, I mean the problem is Ericsson well Ericsson Spurs isn't he but I know, I'm, I'm thinking you know from back in the day no I mean I'd, yeah, I'd, I'd focus. I'd put someone on him because he's so dangerous. I mean, although it's it's not so much from open play, it's not giving away those free kicks mm. in that range where he can mm. shoot and That's closing the most him down thing. on the edge of the box yeah. in the same way. Exactly. So, that, I mean, the main thing for me would be make sure that you know you're actually tackling quite high and far out rather than you know. And, and if if you're going to commit a foul, do it nearer nearer to the halfway line rather than wait until they get near enough that it's dangerous. You're also going to need to watch the pace on the wings because Richarlison is very, very nippy, very direct runner. Bernard is very hard to deal with. And also there is uh, the potential of Theo Walcott, who despite being 53, (laughs) uh, does actually still have a little bit of pace. I think the worry for Palace, and I agree with you completely that Sigurdsson is the biggest threat. I think if you focus too much on shutting those uh, shooting options for Sigurdsson down... The concern then is that Richarlison's in space or Bernard's in space. So there's got to be that balance between closing them in midfield, but the runners in behind, what we saw against West Ham, those are the danger. The sort of diagonal ball slips in towards the far post, which then is just dragged back across and suddenly it's a goal at the far post. So I think at the moment, Everton looked like a really, really frightening proposition, frankly. And they are going for that seventh spot and I think they're favourites for it. Mm, I think, well, Wolves in the mix as well. It depends, of course, on how Wolves get on against Arsenal tomorrow night. 
The real question with that seventh spot, of course, is whether those teams will actually want it. Because I know some people certainly see it as something of a poison chalice because your season starts incredibly early, your fixture list is incredibly condensed and suddenly you're there going, hang on a minute, is our squad actually only got 12 players in it? Which, of course, Tottenham are already operating with uh, despite running the Champions League. See, one of, one of the interesting things about this is I think that you know when, when you come onto a show like this, you're, you're supposed to know what you think already. Um, but we've had a genuine conversation and I've, I've changed my mind a bit now. I actually want Townsend to start in Meyer's place because I think we need a physical dimension and a threat that Meyer doesn't bring. Mm. Bring him on as a sub um, in the second half if we're doing well. Um, and if it's still nil-nil, you know, as per Hodgson's undoubted game plan. But I think we need that physical edge in mm. this game. And the, the more that I've listened to what we've said tonight, I'm, I'm thinking Townsend to start ahead of Meyer. And I, I think, you know, I'm calling it, that's what that's what Royal do. And is the tactic to go straight at him at the start? Or, I mean, is it too risky, as you've said, with the wait till the final 15 minutes? Well, what I'd like to see us do is um, experiment a little bit with a slightly higher press, um, but keep the two centre-backs back deep. So that way, you know, you've got cover if there is a slip, but actually, you know, you're trying to take the ball and take it forward. Um, I mean, that's I, I think we'll miss Schlupp. I know a lot of people um, have a downer on him, but I, th- I think he, you know, he would have been a really useful player in this game. Yeah, every team's got a scapegoat. That that is very true, and I think the point you make about not allowing them to win that physical battle in midfield, particularly when you've got the prospects of, for example, Idrissa Ghana Gay, is a massively good one. Because if Everton are able to walk through that Palace midfield, suddenly you are going to be up against it, however good a job you do going forwards, because you simply won't have the ball. But then we saw against Arsenal that not having the ball isn't necessarily no. the end of the world for Palace. But gents. The time of the show where I've got to put you on the spot with your score predictions. Uh, how do you think it's going to go? 2 1 Palace. 2 1 Palace. Any scorers for me, Nick? Um, Benteke again. Ooh. And I think if Dan plays, he'll get one from a set piece. And oh. just to rub Ever- Everton's nose, Nick, because they were always trying to sign him <laughs> two years ago. And James, how about you? I'll go 2 0 Palace. I think Luca might get his penalty. Oh, right the wrongs. Yeah, yeah, maybe. Uh, And Zaha to get the other. Zaha to get the other in a week where he has been, of course, in all of the headlines. Chris, what's your prediction? 2-1 Everton. Um, I think that um, realistically, it's it's highly likely that Sigurdsson will will get through that that defence. Um, I mean, some one of these these nasty little people like Nias or Tosin will undoubtedly um, knock us out as well. you know, and we'll, we'll we'll probably get a Benteke goal. I think he's, he's on a roll now. It's a good chance for Palace and fingers crossed for a Spurs win as well. It's been the Crystal Palace Fan Show on Love Sport Radio. Thanks for downloading this podcast from Love Sport Radio. For more, go to lovesportradio.com for all the latest podcasts, news and views. Or for more, follow us at Love Sport Radio on Twitter. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. We understand that the journey as a supporter isn't always smooth sailing, but rest assured you're not alone. There's a vast network of fellow fans who share your passion and may be experiencing similar challenges. Honesty is key in any relationship. If your friend asks you how you are feeling, tell them honestly. 
If you're going through a difficult time, let them know. Opening up about how you are feeling can really make a difference. After all, they are your mates for a reason. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. It's the 90th minute. All your mates around. You've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. Your mate's already got booked for double dipping and you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in? At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.